When it comes to maximizing time in the uplands, without fail, Onyx Hunt is my most valuable tool. From planning my next hunt through a new bird cover to navigating in the field, Onyx Hunt is truly with me wherever I go. With detailed mapping and satellite imagery, along with a multitude of map layers from land access to forestry and habitat information and easy-to-use tools to mark, measure, and catalog important information, Onyx Hunt seamlessly integrates digital scouting with boots-on-the-ground time in the field. With offline mapping and Apple CarPlay integration, you are free to explore the wild landscapes our beloved upland birds inhabit. Planning your next move in the uplands begins with knowing where you stand, and for me, that starts and stops with Onyx Hunt. Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription. When the miles rack up faster than your flush count, that's when you'll truly appreciate your hunting vest from Final Rise. Built for the uplands and proudly sewn in the USA, the complete lineup of hunting vests from Final Rise, from their all-new Summit XT down to the minimalist Sidekick system, are all built upon the foundational load-bearing waist belt and low-profile shoulder strap system, which allow you to carry all the gear you need and do so comfortably while maintaining your ability to move freely and perform when you need to most. With a complete lineup of accessories and newly released performance field apparel, Final Rise has the gear you need to help you get the most out of every mile and every flush. Final Rise gear is built for the uplands. Get yours today at FinalRise.com. Welcome to the Project Upland Podcast, where we discuss all things upland hunting. We plan to take you into some of our favorite bird covers as we talk to the people that hunt them and the organizations that support them. We'll also break down the dogs, guns, and gear used to pursue them, and of course, we'll share the stories that celebrate this American tradition. It's one of those things that you do that, that feels timeless. My dad brought home our first Brittany when I was about 10 years old. The Red Gods are calling, and I must go. These are your stories. This is the Project Up and Podcast presented by Onyx Hunt. I'm your host, Nick Larson. On this episode of the show, it's dog kennels, bird hunting, and even a little bit of hockey. With Greg Cronkite of Dakota 283 Kennels, welcome to the show for episode number 79. Project Up and Podcast is presented by Onyx Hunt, creators of the most comprehensive digital mapping system for hunters. Use the promo code PUP20 to save 20%. They're Onyx Hunt. I'm actually looking over at my phone right now. I'm downloading some offline maps. Later today, I'm leaving, headed over to a friend's house in Wisconsin. We're going to spend the next couple of days in the grouse woods. It's prime time, and we're going to be in an area with pretty much, from what I understand, zero cell service. So accordingly, I am 
downloading my offline Onyx maps before I go. So I have navigation, property ownership, waypoints, all that stuff marked and on my phone before I leave my trip. If you haven't checked out Onyx, highly suggest you do. And if you really want to get an awesome deal, head over to www.ruffed.org and check out the promo that Rough Grouse Society is running right now. Based on what level you buy at, you can get up to two free bonuses, including a killer Upland AF t-shirt and a premium subscription to Onyx Hunt. Check it out at ruffed.org. All right, this podcast is also brought to you by our friends at Pine Ridge Grouse Camp. You haven't experienced Grouse Camp until you've experienced it at Pine Ridge. It's October. This is the time to be at Pine Ridge Grouse Camp. If you're not there this year, you want to be there next year. Call them up. Talk to Jerry. Tell him we sent you. Find out more about him at pineridgegrousecamp.com. And by Dog Trick Callers. For over 30 years, Dog Trick has collaborated with industry professionals to create class-leading tools for e-collar training, GPS tracking, and more to support bird dog owners in developing top-notch dogs. I love my Dog Trick Callers. My dog wears one every day, pretty much. High quality, intuitive, they're just hands down phenomenal dog training products. Find out more about Dogtra Collars and the rest of their products by visiting Dogtra.com. And by Yukonuba Premium Performance Dog Food. Out in the field, how you prepare determines how you perform. With balanced fat and protein to support peak condition in your bird dog, Yukonuba Premium Performance Dog Food enhances strength, energy, and endurance. So when that tailgate finally drops, you and your dogs are ready for anything. Strong, focused, ready for anything. That is a Yukonuba dog. And by Gum Leaf USA, high quality, handcrafted, premium rubber boots that last. They're not going to wear down. They're not going to crack. They're not going to get brittle. I am well into my third season with my pair of Gum Leaf Viking boots, and they are going strong. I haven't worn anything else into the grouse woods, and I likely will not. It's been wet again this fall as it was last year. Most of the time, there's some kind of water component within the grouse and woodcock covers that I hunt. And my gum leaf boots are always on, keeping my feet dry and comfortable. Totally worth it. Check it out. Gumleafusa.com. Use the promo code PUP10. That's PUP10. That'll save you 10% at gumleafusa.com. And by Gordian Sons Outfitters. When your boots have the proper tread, you never notice how slippery it is. When your hunting jacket features the right liner, your body temperature won't enter your mind. When your shooting vest allows total freedom of movement, you won't think twice about swinging through that quail. At Gordian Sons, they want you to focus solely on the hunt and not the performance of your gear. That's why the Gordy family has personally curated the best-in-class gear from around the globe for their store. Find out more about the gear, the guides, the expertise, all they have to offer by visiting gordyandsons.com. And finally, by certainly last but not least today, Dakota 283 Kennels, of which the owner and founder of the company is on our podcast today. I'm going to let Greg tell you about Dakota 283 Kennels during the podcast today. All I'm going to say is they are kennels built to last a lifetime. I've got one in my truck. I love it. And they are great kennels. All right. This week's winner of the podcast giveaway is Chad W. Chad shared a recent episode of the podcast. And for that, we thank him. Project Upland t-shirt headed his way real soon. Anybody listening could be next week's winner of the podcast giveaway. All you got to do is make a meaningful contribution to the show. Leave us a rating in your podcast app. Leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen. Subscribe to the podcast. Share the podcast posts. Send us some feedback or a guest suggestion. We'd love to hear from our listeners. Hit me up anytime. Nick.Larson at NorthwoodsCollective.com. All right, everybody, we're going to jump right in. Our guest today, as I mentioned earlier, is Greg Cronkite, owner and founder of Dakota 283 Kennels. Greg was a bird hunter, 
He had a successful business before he started Dakota 283 Kennels, and he used his passion for bird hunting and his knowledge and expertise of his other business, Sterling Technologies, to create Dakota 283 Kennels. I'm going to let Greg tell you the story. I hope you enjoy this one. It's October, everybody. Happy hunting, and be safe. Let's welcome to the Project Devil Podcast of Dakota 283 Kennels, Greg Cronkite. All right, Greg Cronkite of Dakota 283 Kennels. Welcome to the Project Oven Podcast. How are you today, my friend? Doing great, Nick. Doing great. Thank you for having me on. Great to hear, Greg. I appreciate your time today, and I know the listeners will as well. I'm excited to have you on. Dakota 283, you've been with us for a little while now. I don't know. Got to be coming up on a year or more. Dakota 283's been uh, a supporter of the Project Oven Podcast. You know off the top of your head? Uh, I don't think it's quite been a year, okay. but, um, you know, it's been, it's been, uh, it's been quite a while and, uh, you know, we love your podcast and, you know, I think you, you put out a great product and people, uh, love listening to what you have to say. So, and you have good outside of me, you've had great guests on this show. Well, I certainly appreciate that, Greg. It's nice to know that you're a fan, uh, beyond the fact <laughs> that you're a supporter, but we appreciate it on all fronts. What do you? What do they call you around the Dakota Two Eighty Three headquarters? And I know that's not your only business, and we'll we'll talk about that a little bit. But what do you go by? Head honcho or CEO, president? What, what are you, Greg? <laughs> you know, you know, when people call me Mister Cronkite, I, it it kind of freaks me out. I think <laughs> my dad's in the uh, I think my dad's in the lobby or something. So so I really just have them call me Greg. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, no, it's all it's all good. I mean, it's we we have a very casual, very casual atmosphere, um, and you know everybody's hardworking people, and we're all trying to do this the right thing and going for the same goals. So it's all good. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I know that you and the Dakota Two Eighty Three family kind of work year round around the clock, but you work for this time of year that's coming up next month. You know, for most of us, things are going to get underway. What? Is it like at Dakota two eighty three right now? Are, are kennels flying out the door? What does it look like for you guys right now? You know, it, it's it is kind of interesting. We we seem to um, have you know a slight lull midsummer, and then uh, right about now, like in the last couple of weeks, things start to happen, and you know you get you get multiple kennel orders in, and people are really starting to think about hunting. I I just told somebody the other day said, you know, I could smell the hunting season. It's like right around the corner. You you start getting (laughs) excited. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, you know, summer's been great, but I'm ready. I am definitely ready. But that's kind of what's happening here. You know, it's it's too bad it gets so busy with Dakota 283 in the falls when I want to be out in the field. Right. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's kind of the interesting part. You know, everybody that works in the outdoor hunting industry, you know, there's a lot lots of different ways that people can get involved professionally in the industry, but that is one of those things. We're definitely feeling it right now at Northwoods Collective. I mean, it's kind of the calm before the storm. Like we're definitely scrambling to get things done and nail things down cuz we know that it's just going to get flipped upside down next month, but it's it's a right. it's a, it's exciting to be a part of it and to be working on all of it, but you know that it's just going to you're going to kind of blink and it's going to go right by. You got to smell the roses there, Nick. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean yeah. Make, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure I don't have to tell you that you're going to get out and do your grouse hunting locally. And, um, you might even do a little pheasant hunting in South Dakota. You never know. That might be on the calendar. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, I, I certainly do 
I do my best to appreciate the opportunities that I have to get in the field. I was just messaging with somebody today. He lives out east. I, I'm pretty sure it was Delaware. I might get it wrong, but he was telling me that you know the wild bird hunting opportunities are pretty low around where he's at, but he makes trips out to the west and he hunts the prairies and I think he hunts prairie grouse and pheasants. But you know, I was just kind of telling him like it's easy for me to take for granted what I have in my backyard. But then you talk to somebody like that, who's likely just as passionate as I am, and he's got to do so much more to get out on, on the birds, but it never hurts to have a reminder to be thankful of, of what you have. Yeah. I, I, it, it brings me back to my days. I grew up in Illinois, Northern Illinois. And, um, you know, I used to, I used to hunt, uh, in between classes in college and, you know, if you saw a bird in a couple hours, that was really a big deal, let alone get a pheasant, right? Um, it was, it, you know, it, it just depends on where you are and when, when you're there uh, anymore. It's, you don't have wild bird opportunities everywhere, that's for sure. Yeah, that's absolutely true. It was funny when you mentioned that you kind of have a lull in the Dakota orders, you know, midsummer, and then you you start to see things pick up. Now that kind of goes exactly like my timeline. I, I imagine I'm not unlike a lot of folks where, like you said, we're enjoying summer. I'm sitting at the lake, and it feels like hunting season is months and months away. And then all of a sudden, you wake up one morning, and it's cool and crisp, and and you can smell it. And now, like I've made probably like two or three gear orders in the last two days. I'm just like I feel like it's coming and quick and i got to get everything squared away yeah for sure man for sure yeah everybody's on coming back from vacation and they're getting ready so i'm excited i think it's going to be a really fun year um you know not only for dakota but just just hunting in general i think it's going to be another great year so yeah i'm fired up yeah and and i'm going to do a little grouse hunting i've never gone grouse hunting before oh man that... we've, so we've talked about that i'm pretty i'm really pumped to get a king of the king of the woods, you know, <laughs> king of the forest. What do they call it? King well, of the you know, some folks call it the king of all game birds, Greg, which is a little bit more all encompassing. I might be in that category, but you know what? I am. I know where to admit my shortcomings, and that is that I have not experienced all that the uplands have to offer. So I'm hesitant to put the crown on the king of the north woods. But I certainly, okay. hold, I certainly hold him in high regard. Yeah, I'm I'm fired up, man. I I'm uh, I'm gonna hunt in northern Minnesota in October, and not far from you, actually. Uh, now you'll be nearby. And uh, yeah, and uh, so if I get skunked, I'm gonna be knocking on your door, buddy. Well, it's an open you invite for you, Greg. Yeah, it's an open invite. <laughs> I got some spots. I got some spots around where you will be, and I've got some spots littered across the northern Minnesota and Wisconsin, as you might imagine. So I'd be happy to get you out if our if our calendars connect. But no, that's cool. it's it's really fun. There's obviously the vibe is picking up across the upland hunting community. We see it every day in the stuff that we do for Project Upland and. You know, all the organizations are getting behind it. It's it's a very exciting time of year. Everybody's kind of coming together on it. I love it. What uh, you mentioned a little bit about Dakota 283, you got, you just had some news come out. I want to touch on that a little bit, just kind of do a current events, little sneak peek at Dakota 283. Then we'll talk a little bit more about some of your background and then we'll probably circle back to Dakota later. But what what's what's new and fresh for dakota 283 right now and you know what greg just in case there is anybody that has skipped all of our intros and they have no idea what dakota 283 is why don't you give us the uh the high level overview oh sure right um 
So, um, kind of the, the history of the company, um, you know, I've been a pheasant hunter my, my whole life, uh, going back to seven years old. And, you know, I never had, I never had a dog, uh, when I was when younger. So my dad and my uncles put me out in the field and in the briars. And I was basically the dog, you know, for these guys as they were hunting. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's the old days. I don't know if you went through this, but when I first started hunting, you know, I was not allowed to carry a gun. They, they were just telling me I was fortunate enough to be hanging with, with dad and the uncles. Right. Sure, so, yeah. and I, I loved every minute of it. And, um, but we never really hunted with dogs back in, back in the early seventies. Uh, we hunted, we hunted Iowa. Um, this is back when Iowa had as many birds as South Dakota, as far as I could tell. I mean, there was birds all over, pheasants. Yep. Okay. Just a ton of pheasants in the early seventies and I got the bug. Okay. So, um, so I got the bug and just loved it every year and used to hunt every year with, with my family. And it was just, just a blast and fast forward, uh, gosh, I don't know, 20, 20 years from there, started a company called Sterling Technologies, which was a rotational molding company. Uh, if you guys are familiar with rotational molding, and I'm going to use this, it's almost a verb anymore, but you know, a Yeti cooler, everybody knows what a Yeti cooler is. It's the same type of materials uh, and same process that a Yeti cooler is made out of. And, um, we used to make military, uh, one of our first contracts was with military cases and we made thousands of military products and military cases for the U S government. Um, so we learned a ton, uh, at Sterling about, you know, what design attributes are needed to build a case that is going to hold up against a lot of rugged exposure. And what kind of materials do we need and what kind of geometries do we need to hold up against, you know, difficult outdoor impacts? So we took that technology uh, about five or six years ago and I said, let's let's build a a kennel because by that time I was I was into dogs and I was, you know, of course, hunting. And and I said, let's let's build a the ultimate kennel, you know, for the for the average hunter. And also for the hunter that's out there every day. And um, we built actually our first our first product was a uh, uh, a, a vault for uh, a waterproof vault for the back of a truck. And you could put your guns in it and you could put whatever gear you needed in it. And it was lockable. It was waterproof. And we built a kennel to go on top of that. And, uh, you know, people really, really enjoyed that. And it's been a been a nice product for us. But. You know, people like there's a bigger market for kennels than there was for vaults. So sure. we really started fo- focusing on on the kennels. So, um, you know, fast forward, we, we've got, you know, the technology, a part of it. Um, we, we built a really heavy duty uh, stainless steel door, uh, you know, and, a, and an aluminum framed stainless steel door. We're the only guys out there, Nick, that that have a door that is you know, stainless, all stainless steel and, 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 and metal framed. Uh, if you look at some of the guys out there, uh, they are plastic, some metal components, but, but primary plastic. And if you've, you've lived in a very cold environment, um, you know, what happens to plastic in cold weather, right? Yep. It stress fractures and cracks and breaks. So, yep. you know, that's not going to happen with a stainless steel door. It's, it's a very, very solid product. 
You want to know one of my favorite things about the door on the Dakota 283 is, Greg, and that is that it sounds stupid, but the dog can see through it. <laughs> you know, like it's you know, that doesn't sound stupid. <laughs> I mean, that, does anybody else that mention is, that to you? Y- yes. And I'm I'm absolutely amazed at some of the competition that's out there that are coming out with their door, their door for their kennels. And you can't see your dog. Yep. The dog wants to see you. And frankly, I want to see my dog. <laughs> I want to make sure my dog's happy in there. Yes. Know? Yep. I, I don't know why that is, but I, and for whatever reason, you know, that's it, maybe, you know, maybe some people hear that and they could care less, but I am, I am like you, I guess in that. Yeah. I, I want, I like the dog to have as much visibility as possible. I want to see the dog. I want him to see me. And I don't really understand why some of the doors out there are so solid and not um, so the dog can't see through, you know, and and I don't know if it would be for airflow or, or insulation or something. I mean, that's kind of like, for me, that'd be beside the point. Cause if I really want insulation, I'd get a cover, you know, like one of the mud covers or something. So I don't know. I like, I like the Dakota 283 door. It's just like a hockey cage. I'm very familiar with that. Oh, we should probably talk about, uh, hockey real quick here, Greg, in a minute, but (laughs) you know, you can, I can see through my hockey cage, just like I can see through that door on the Dakota 283. I like that. No, that's really cool. And it, and it's important because, you know, when you talk about ventilation and especially if you're in the South or any, you know, you want as much ventilation as you can get. Right. Um, it's, it's important for a dog to stay cool. Yeah. Right. You can always get your dog warmer by adding say a mud river cover or an Arctic shield cover or anything like that. You sure. can, you can get your dog warmer, but you cannot get your dog cooler if you've got a sweat box. Right. Yeah. And you know, some of these kennels out there have a very enclosed hot environment for their dogs. So, no, yeah. we've been we've been really happy with what we've done. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. I, you know, and again, I don't you I don't think either you nor myself we don't want to sit here and talk about, you know, what's Dakota, what does Dakota 283 have over all the competitors? I mean, we could go on and on. People can kind of do their own product comparisons. What we want is to to hear from you, Greg, and get the story about the company because I think that's important to a lot of folks is sort of why a company does what it does and, you know, let, yeah. let people find what and who resonate with them and let them make their choices because, as you well know, consumers have many, many choices. Right. Do you want me to – I can kind of tell you how we kind of got into it you know, some background maybe on the Cronkite farm, if you want to talk about that for a second. I do. But before we go there, let's just pause the Upland conversation for a minute and just take this moment to congratulate the University of Minnesota Duluth Bulldogs on their second in a row, third in about 10 years, National Division <laughs> One Hockey Championship, Greg. <laughs> hey, that is that is so awesome. You know, I, I think you and I talked about this. My uncle played hockey for uh, the Bulldogs. Yep. Um, he's from International Falls. And my cousin also played hockey for the Bulldogs. So, um, man, they are – what a team. Yeah. For gosh sakes. That yeah. is uh, – man. Yeah. Not, let's 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 repeat this thing. Let's oh, go. Man, and they are stacked <laughs> this year. They are stacked this year. They lost a few – talented kids but relatively speaking they are stacked again and they are probably probably as well as well prepared to go for a three-peat as anybody would be we were you and i were messaging when they were playing in the championship game i was at my buddy garrett's house we're watching the game and i 
uh, that was just a you know kind of a crazy small world thing. You were messaging me and said your it was your uncle and your cousin, right, that played for for UMD. Yep, yeah. yep. My uncle and his son both played for UMD. Unreal. My uncle was actually he actually uh, went on from there and played for the U.S. national team. Wow. Yeah. So um, I had two uncles that played for the U.S. national team, and um, you know it was kind of, it was it's, it was kind of a small world thing. So I was pretty excited for you being in Duluth, man. That was that was awesome. Yeah, that was awesome. No doubt, we take a lot of pride as Duluthians in in the hockey team. It's our only Division One sport. I'm pretty sure I could get that wrong, but it's the hockey team is definitely kind of the pride and joy. And of course, with the success they've had over the last decade, their first national championship coming in 2011, and now they have three. Uh, it's it's been pretty cool to see and it's great, obviously great for the town, which I'm, you know, very biased, uh, a supporter of Duluth, Minnesota. Oh, for sure. For sure. I, Jane and I almost moved there, man. I, I mean, remember I that. I think I told you that. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we had a lot picked out and everything. We ended up not doing it, but it's a beautiful town. You, you live in a great place. Yeah. Yep. It's a, yeah. it's a cool place to be. All right, Greg, let's talk about Cronkite Farm. So this is aside from Dakota 283, and obviously there's some connections here, but let's talk about Cronkite Farms as it is. Sure. Um, so 2011, um, you know, fast forward from Sterling Technologies, uh, you know, uh, I, I, I had been an upland game hunter for many, many years and um, always wanted some property. And I went out and looked at, frankly, I wanted to, I wanted to go to Montana and look at, um, uh, you know, some land out there. And I just found that it had been discovered and there was not as much, the value wasn't there. You know, you couldn't get as much land for your money as you could some other places, you know? Sure. And, and so my wife said, why don't we look at South Dakota? Cause you always love South Dakota, you know, going pheasant hunting every year. And so I ended up going to South Dakota. I ended up looking for 400 acres. I was with a realtor and he goes, Hey, let me show you this. I know you only want 400 acres, but let me show you this ground 20 miles from here that is really pretty special. And I said, okay. So I went there. It was 20, 2,500 acres. <laughs> That's a good and, realtor. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, I was blown away. This place is unbelievable. Well, my wife is a saint and, you know, frankly, she tells me that all the time and I believe her, you know. So, hey, I, I met her uh, at Pheasant Fest and I can agree. I mean, she, uh, you married up, Greg. You did well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's no question about that. There's no question. And um, so anyway, after talking to her about that and, you know, talking about worst case and this and that, we ended up uh, acquiring that property. And it was really uh, I was really fortunate because the guy who owned it before me had is was not a hunter, but he was a conservationist. So he had taken all this raw land and started planting trees like 20 years before I ended up buying it. So we have, you know, 10 different dams slash ponds and probably 15 to 20 different shelter belts that are, you know, 10 to 20 years to 30 years uh, old. Uh, they're established. He had done a lot of grass planting for habitat. Um, so he was really, really into, you know, an instrumental in bringing uh, the pheasants and the, the deer and the sharp tails. And we've got a lot of prairie chickens and all to that to that ground. I mean, it was I was very very blessed. So since we bought that in 2011, we have made so many improvements to that ground. The last two years, we've planted another 400 acres of um, 
uh, tall wheat grass and alfalfa, you know, just habitat grass. <clears throat> We've done, you know, every year we do major projects to that ground to make it better for pheasants and for, for all the wildlife. It's, um, it's a pretty special place, man. I hope you can make it up in December when we talked about that. Yeah, I would, I, I really hope I can make it there as well. Just from talking to you about it and obviously hearing more about it, it sounds like a really cool place. Um, so you mentioned pheasants, sharp tails, prairie chickens. Do you have Hungarian partridge there? No, okay. we do not have. Now they used to have, have, uh, some huns there, but I have not seen a wild hun since I've owned it in two, since 2011. Okay. Uh, and th- this is one of the things that I want, you know, when I talked to Tyler Webster, you know, I said, Tyler, I, I got to get up and shoot some huns because I've got everything else. Right. I just don't have any huns, you know? So, uh, one of these days I'm going to sneak up there. I know you've been up, up in North Dakota with him. Yep. Yep. I was there last year and the bird that escaped me was the Hungarian partridge. So they are on my, they're on my list this fall. I would love oh. to, I only saw, I only saw a couple of huns the very first walk of the of the first day I was out with Tyler and my buddy Garrett and we got a couple up and we had kind of uh we had we had actually saw them we kicked them off this road and we went in to hunt this field we made a big wide circle and we moved some sharp tails and eventually we kicked those huns out but I think if I recall they were kind of a little out of range or the dog work was poor or something something happened where Tyler and I did not shoot at those huns so but that was it then okay. another the next seven or eight days I didn't see any more. Wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, that that's on my that's on my list, and uh, I also have on my list the uh, sage grouse. I want to I want to do a sage grouse hunt. Yeah. Um. You know, but but uh, you know, there's there's just th- this this property that I bought has just been really really fun to. I have as much fun managing the property, Nick, as I do hunting it. It's it's like it all goes together, right? I mean watching your dogs hunt and hunting it, but also looking at a piece of raw ground that used to be a pasture. And then two years later, looking at it and, you know, it's a prime piece of habitat that holds an amazing amount of birds in it. And it was just pasture two years ago. Um, that's what's fun. Yeah. I be- you know? I certainly believe that. I, I don't know the feeling myself, but that's something I talked about with, Kevin Shepard of the American Bird Conservancy a few weeks ago. Well, I interviewed him about a month ago, but the podcast was out and I talked to him because he works with a lot of private landowners and I can only imagine the satisfaction one might have after making some improvements, habitat improvements to their land to increase wildlife you know, populations and then to go out and enjoy sort of the fruits of your labors and, and making that come true. I mean, that's gotta be just super, super gratifying. It, it is really cool, man. I, I'll, I'll tell you. And it's funny, a couple of years ago, you know, we've worked with pheasants forever. We've worked with our um, conservation people locally uh, early on. And, you know, I know enough to be dangerous now, but I always seek advice on things. And for sure, um, we we actually won the uh, Pheasants Forever uh, Conservation Award for our for our chapter last year, uh, which was really an honor. I didn't I didn't expect it, but I think I was just in there enough and doing enough things that they were like, "God, Greg is really a whack job." <laughs> <on this stuff." laughs> because <laughs> they'd be like well 
well, don't you want to make some money off this ground? You know, because I'm taking cropland and turning it into habitat. I'm like, well, yeah, I do, but I'm, I really want to build a habitat, you know? <laughs> so anyway, it's, it's been, it's been a labor of love, man. It's been fun. There's nothing like being on your tractor saying, okay, I got to go do some brush hogging today and, and just go out and, you know, get things ready for the fall for your hunts and your hunters. And it's just really fun. Yeah. How often, yeah. how often will you get out there this fall? Cause you, you live in Pennsylvania, right? So I'm a resident of South Dakota. Okay. So I'm out there six months in a day, gotcha, at least. Gotcha. And, um, you know, spend a m- two and a half months in the spring there getting things planted and, you know, ready for, for the, the that year, whatever big projects that we want to make for that year. And then, um, and then usually I'll go out in September and stay through Christmas, you know, maybe into January. So, um, but you know me, Nick, I am, I am all over the place, yeah, you know? Are. So <laughs> I, I am all over the place, man. I, every other week I'm going somewhere. So just like, you know, most business owners, I guess they're, they're all over the place, right? Yeah. yeah you kind of have to be anywhere and everywhere. Yeah. So, so this coming this fall, then is Cronkite Farms, are you open to the public? Do you have a bed and breakfast there? I mean, I don't even know this. I know that I've been invited out there and some other folks have. But And, and you know what? You Did you not have somebody out there last fall based on a Project Upland survey, or is that coming up this year? That's coming up this year. Ah, in fact, okay. they're going to they're gonna be there that same time frame when I'd like to have you up. Oh, okay, which cool. Which would be, that'd be a nice, you know, connection. Oh, for sure. To, for, for you. Yep. Um. But yeah, we take, um, but let me just start by saying we, you know, we're a hundred percent wild roosters. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of South Dakota farms can't say that. Right. And we have a limited amount of paid hunts that we do at the Cronkite farm. Um, I've got a lot of return groups coming back now. We probably do six to eight hunts a year and we only allow six to eight hunters per group. So it's not this big, I don't know if you've ever been to South Dakota and some of these hunts, but you know, a lot of these, <clears throat> a lot of these guys or a lot of these farms will have 15, 20 hunters in a field and it's a production hunt and it's just, they're getting birds. Don't get me wrong. Yep. I mean, it's, you know, they're getting shooting and, and whatever, but it's not what I personally like. And it's not how I grew up hunting for pheasants. So we try to keep it really intimate uh, and keep it under eight hunters and you can see the dogs work and everybody has a job and a position and we go out and, and hunt them up. It's great, man. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah. That's yeah. cool. I, I did experience something like that. I had a little short trip out to South Dakota last, last December and I experienced something kind of similar to what you're talking about. It was sort of the first time I had ever really even gone quote unquote pheasant hunting and done that. And I'm hesitant to really, to really knock it too much just because, you know, I understand like the social aspect of it. And a lot of people maybe grew up with that, but it was definitely different for me. And it just, I don't know, it didn't quite resonate with me in the same way that other forms of upland hunting do. So I I know where you're coming from. Yeah. I think if you, if you haven't hunted before, it's not a bad way to be introduced to the sport. Cause you're with, it's a very social way to get into the sport. You yeah. got people mentoring you and you know, you can, you're certainly going to have fun and you're going to see birds and it's going to be really cool. Yeah. But you know, I, I mean, honestly, and I think that you're probably the same way. What's better than just you and your dog 
just one mano mano, just one on one going out and hunting. Yeah. I mean, that's that's fun. It's pretty that's tough fun. to beat so, that. Yep. Yeah, and I know in grouse hunting, that's kind of what you guys do, right? I yeah. mean, you're it's a pretty it's a pretty solitary sport, right? Yeah, it's almost status quo. I mean, I I certainly like a lot of folks. I really enjoy hunting with my friends, but a lot of times, even even one or two people, it can just kind of get to be a lot of extra stuff going on. And there's there's nothing as free. There's nothing as freeing as walking a piece of grouse cover with just you and your dog and you don't have to worry about anybody else in the woods you can follow your dog you can lead your dog wherever you want to go and that's one of the most freeing forms of upland hunting that i've ever done oh yeah oh absolutely absolutely and i and i'll i'll tell you i haven't grouse hunted i have i've walked a little bit i've never shot a grouse but i've 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 done a little bit of grouse hunting in pennsylvania but you know i'll come out living on the farm I'll come out from work around three o'clock in the afternoon. I'll grab my boots and my vest and I'll grab my dogs and I'll say, let's go. And we walk right from the farm and just hit a draw or a slough or a, you know, a piece of ground. And I'll just, you know, uh, many times I'll, I'll end up limiting, but you know, sometimes you don't, but it's just, it's just a fun thing. It's just, if, if you're a real hunter, that's pure, man. That's it's pure. It's great. Yeah. Yeah, it so, doesn't get any more pure than that, that's for sure. So what about woodcock? Have you hunted woodcock? I have not done I, I've 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 shot a woodcock okay. while I was hunting something else, but I haven't gone out for woodcock. Okay. Is that um there's quite a few woodcock in Minnesota, right? Oh absolutely, yeah. There you will I can I mean, without being a little hesitant to guarantee anything when it comes to hunting, I can pretty much guarantee you will see a woodcock when you come to Minnesota. What the time that you're going to come for sure? Okay. Yeah. So you okay. will you will most likely see a good number of woodcock at that time and and get some good opportunities there. Uh, it's when you hunt grouse and woodcock with a dog in the upper Great Lakes states. From my experience, it's pretty much a package deal. You can certainly you can certainly do things to sort of tip the scales in favor of seeing more grouse or more woodcock. But most often, if you're in good quality habitat, you're going to find both of them. And okay. it it becomes, I, I find it very enjoyable. There there are times where there are so many woodcock and maybe you maybe you have a limit because the limit's three. Uh, there's so many woodcock, You if you've got a dog that's all over them, it, it can be almost hard to get through the cover or move, move beyond the cover. But that's a good problem to have, obviously. For the most part, right. it becomes, it's a very, very enjoyable uh, mixed bag hunt. So let me ask you a question. And I always laugh about this because I haven't done it, but like when I talk to grouse hunters, they talk about the number of flushes they saw that oh, yeah. day. Oh yeah. Is it and they don't talk about how many shots they had or how many birds they killed. <laughs> yeah. It's about how many flushes, which is really it's really weird for me to hear that, right? Yeah. So but is it the same with woodcock? Do you talk about your flushes? Um I you do, but it's less it's less significant than it is with grouse because with grouse when you start talking about flushes, that kind of becomes the most real way to express opportunity you know you're basically saying hey i was in the proximity of this many grouse which is sort of Mm -hmm. your measure of of proximity the shooting thing is that's one thing you can control i mean there's some there are some shots that you just can't take for one reason or another but if you can get your shot numbers up there you're gonna you're gonna hopefully increase your your bag numbers but you know getting a shot on a grouse is not 
it's not automatic. It takes a concerted effort. And that's something that I've seen people, you know, including myself, when you get started trying to wing shoot grouse, it's, it's a challenge to even get yourself to shoot sometimes because the visibility is so low and you just feel like you don't, right. have, you don't have a prayer. So let me ask you a question. I'll, I'll interview you for a second. Do, it. do you, do you, um, what is your favorite gun in the grouse woods? Because you know, for pheasant, I'm generally a 12 gauge guy, but you know, a grouse, I've heard smaller gauges. That is a very interesting question. And the journey that I've taken with guns over the last two to three to four years is such that I am just, I'm basically just, I'm in shambles. I'm a complete mess. I don't know what to, t- I don't know what to tell you for guns. <laughs> All I can say, and I think the best thing to say about when it comes to grouse or guns for grouse, grouse and woodcock are not very hard birds to bring down when they are hit with a shotgun pattern. It doesn't take but one, two, three, four, five pellets. Um, and typically in standard shotgun loads, we're shooting hundreds of pellets. So if you center the bird with a good gauge, meaning, and I will say 28, 20, 16, 12, any of those gauges, you center the bird or you, you make a good shot on a bird, it's coming down. So I think all four of those gauges are effective in the grouse woods. Okay. You can certainly play around with loads and, and shot types and all that kind of stuff. But a lot of that is splitting hairs, and that's kind of where I've sort of gone gone a little bit crazy. Uh, but really, I wouldn't worry too much about it. You can carry your 12. If you're carrying a 12. Well, here's – yeah. No, here's what, I, what I'm thinking, man, is – uh, my buddies got together because I've been treating them to so many hunts in the last ten years, and they bought me a. Hold on a second, I gotta I gotta take care of something. Okay. Okay, there we go. All right. Uh, now you're now you're hydrated. That's good. Yeah, I needed to stay hydrated. Yeah, we don't always um, we don't always crack beers on this podcast, but we're not afraid to, Greg. And yeah. I would I would be cracking one with you. We talked about this before. I'd be cracking one with you, but I'm going to shoot sporting clays tonight, so I'm not drinking before yeah. I shoot sporting clays. No, I can appreciate that. Thank you for that. I'm I'm, I'm sure your buddies appreciate that too. <laughs> yeah, I think they will. Um, so so my friends bought me a Browning A five sixteen gauge semi automatic, and I thought maybe that would might be a good option for grouse. I know it's not the traditional side by side or over under. You know. Yeah, yeah. Is a semi is a semi kind of frowned upon in the grouse woods? I mean. Depending on who you ask, some people are going to say yes, some people are going to say no. I'm going to say no. I don't care. I don't care what somebody shoots. I mean, as long as it is it is one of those gauges that I mentioned or somewhere in that spectrum, I'm not going to I'm not I'm not getting too concerned what you're carrying. You might check with sometimes the where you hunt, the people you hunt with, sometimes there are double gun only requirements. Um so I would okay. I would look into that. But here's what I'll tell you, Greg, and I think this is probably going to be the most important advice is that you get in the grouse woods, shooting is challenging. I mean, it's just, it is challenging. It's inherently difficult because of the visibility is low. Your mobility can be reduced. You know, it's not like walking knee high grass where you've got full, full mobility of your arms, shoulders, waist, feet, like the footing can be tough. So you've got so many things working against you. What I would do if I were you, I would carry the gun that I have the most trust and the most faith in that gun that comes up to your shoulder and hits the bird true more times than it doesn't. 
and that bird that you have 100 per, or the gun, sorry, that you have the most confidence in, I would carry that. And if it's a 12 gauge, okay. scale back the loads a little bit, look for a one ounce or even a seven, eighth ounce okay. load in a 12 gauge. I would, oh. sh- I would shoot the gauge. I would shoot the gun that I have the most confidence in. I think that will do well for somebody that's just going to pop into the grouse woods for a, for a quick hunt. I think, I think you'd be well okay. to do that. Oh, that's great advice. Yeah, that's great advice. Okay. Cause I've got, I've got 20 gauge over and unders and you know, I've got different kinds of tw- pump, 20 gauge pumps and yep. I've got some smaller gauges, but I don't use them very often. So we'll see. I just need to get out and do some practicing is what I really need to do. Yeah. So, yep. yep. You and I both, that's yeah. why I'm going to shoot clays tonight. I don't know what good it'll do me, yeah. but Hey, at least I'm doing it. Good for you. That's great. <laughs> well, Greg, we've talked, we've kind of gone all over the board. This is, this has been fun and we're not done yet, but what drives you? You know, you started this business, Sterling Technology. It was not a, it was not a hunting related or dog related business. And clearly as time and maybe opportunity and availability allowed, you let your passions kind of sink into your business. What, right. what drives those passions and why are you so motivated to, to support them and, and do conservation work and all that stuff? Well, I mean, I think, you know, again, it goes back to your, your childhood and how you grew up and, yeah. you know, what, what got you excited when you're, you know, 10 to 10 to 15 years old. Right. Um, I've had these conversations with a lot of people and, you know, the guys that, the guys that started really young, a lot of them, you know, are very, very passionate about it. It's, it is, it is amazing. Um, what's happening now, you know, with, with the R3 and, you know, everybody trying to get more people into hunting. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's, I think it's a great, I love mentoring people. Um, I absolutely love bringing new people in. I can't tell you how many people I have brought to the farm that it was their first hunt ever. And you always do the safety, you always do the safety deal and, you know, really, really help them through the whole process, make sure they have a good time. But um, I've been passionate, Nick, about about bird hunting, you know, for 40 years now. I just absolutely I love the fact that it's something you can go out and get a good workout with. Um, yep. So it's so it's you know, you're burning calories. You're having fun doing that. Uh, you earned your dinner or your your cocktail that night. <laughs> um, you get a, you get an opportunity to uh, to be in the great outdoors, which which I love. And you get an opportunity to be with friends and family. So that's, that's really what's, what's driven me in the, in the hunting side of my life. And, you know, I tell people, I mean, I'm not old, old, but you know, I'm 58 years old, man. I mean, I'm, I've got you by a few years, you know, <laughs> um, and, and I'm, I'm going, I'm going pretty strong, but you know, at some point I'll probably hang up the business side of this thing and, focus more on conservation and more on Dakota and products and the things that I like doing. I, th- I think, uh, I think that's what drives me right now is just getting to the point where I can, I can spend more time outside and more time hunting, um, and, and doing the things that you're passionate about. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, one thing you can't, you can't get back is time. So take advantage of it. Yeah, that's that's very true, and I will I will absolutely take that advice from somebody that is wiser wiser than myself. You got a little bit more time on this planet, <laughs> Greg, but no, you, I have a lot less. I have a lot less hair. I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, your that appreciation that you have for 
mentoring people, I mean, I'm thinking about what we talked about earlier and thinking about how many layers there are to the satisfaction you would have in taking somebody for their first hunt on your farm with the habitat that you've helped to create to help the birds thrive and then watch somebody go out and shoot one of those birds and their first bird and see the excitement on that. I mean, I can't imagine how satisfying that must be. Oh, I, I, I absolutely love it. I mean, I, I love watching people hunt on my farm. Even I, I have a, a, a friend of mine that actually does most of the guiding. His name is Gary. And it's, it takes everything I've got not to hang out with everybody and just walk with them. And, you know, <laughs> and I just want to be out there watching and, you know, seeing how many birds they're seeing. And I get, I get really excited about it, Yeah, you know, but, but everybody, um, everybody's had a mentor. You know, I had a guy named Chuck Nolte out of Mason city, Iowa, that took me on my first pheasant hunt when I was young and, Gosh, I hunted with him up until he stopped hunting a couple of years ago all the time. You know, every year we would get together and hunt. And, you know, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate uh, being introduced to the sport and being introduced in a good way. You know, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like, um, you know, a bunch of guys, you know, we, we didn't drink in the field and we didn't do the negative things that can get you in trouble. Sure. You know, we certainly would go out afterwards and have a good time, but I mean, it was safety first and it was about how you hunt the right way. And it was, it was how you hunt strategically for birds and where you should post people and where you should have guys that are flanking on a hunt. And you learn this, you know, over the years as you're, as you're hunting and it sticks with you and it just, it's so exciting to me. And that's why every time I hunt a new kind of game bird, like I'm going to this fall with grouse, I mean, it's, you're always learning, man. I'm, I can't wait to learn and see how that is done yeah. in, yeah. in Minnesota. I, I'm really fired up about it. Yeah. I think that's one of the neat things about upland hunting. And that's one of the things that I'm looking forward to experiencing more of, you know, as the years go on and I get more opportunities to do that, but that is different landscapes, different species, different ways of doing it. There's so much variety in hunting and upland hunting. It's just, that's part of it. And you have to be a student. Like you said, you've got to be always learning, but that's also interesting, you know, talking about how your early mentors and at that time, when you were young, you were, your mind and your, you know, your thoughts and perspectives were being molded. You, you wouldn't necessarily know better if they were teaching you bad things or, uh, unethical ways in the field. But as you, as you grew older and got more time in the field and met more people, you gained perspective and you can now look back and be even more appreciative of those mentors in that they did sort of bring you up the right way. Like you talked about. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I can still remember. And I, and most hunters that I talk to will agree to this comment. I still remember 40 years ago, oh, it was more than 40. i I, what was it? Yeah, at least 40. I still remember the first pheasant that I've ever, that I ever shot. I can play it, the tape in my mind right now. Love it. it yeah. I mean, do you remember the first bird you ever shot? I do. I do. You should, you should, let's, let's, let's replay that tape, Greg. Let's, let's hear it. Well, it's kind of, it's a little bit embarrassing because, <laughs> because I was, I don't know, I was probably eight or 10 or something. And sure. we were hunting the, um, we were we were hunting the uh 
remember we have no dogs when I tell you this story. Okay. okay. So we, we were hunting the, the Iowa cornfields and you could look up a corn row and see birds running in front of you on the ground. Okay. Yep. And, and I'm 10 and this corn is, it looked like it was 20 feet tall. So if a bird got up, I couldn't see it. It was way over the corn. Right. So I had a rooster stop about 20 feet in front of me in my row. And I had a <laughs> single shot 410 <laughs> and I, I took care of business, you know, with my single shot 410. Yep. And I couldn't have been more proud. I mean, I know it wasn't flying. So, okay. All right. Shoot me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, you know, it was my first rooster. It was, it was, it was really cool. Greg, if you only knew how similar my story is of my first bird, you would, uh, you would, I don't know if you would feel any less embarrassed, but you would know that sure. you shouldn't be embarrassed because my, the first bird I ever shot was a rough grouse. He was standing on the side of a forest road in Northern Minnesota in the pre-flight position. I had a single shot break action 20 gauge and I took care of business as you did on that rough grouse. And I became a grouse hunter for the rest of my life as you know god willing and, and as long as i'm able i became a grouse hunter on that very day shooting a rough grouse standing on the ground on the side of a road i did it <laughs> I, I i hear i hear tell that there's quite a few grouse taken on the ground there are i, I mean yep. I, yeah i've i've talked to several people that say that they see them on the ground and they're not embarrassed to say they shoot them on the ground you know yeah so it is what it is. I mean, it's, uh, Hey, listen, especially for, if, if that's what it takes to, to kindle that excitement in a young person, I, I'm all for it. Yep. hundred yeah. percent. I agree. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that any differently. You know, it would be great if I could look back and say, Hey, I shot my first rough grouse over a staunch pointing dog. And it was, you know, it looked like a, a painting, a Ripley painting as, as my buddy AJ likes to say all the time. Yeah, that would be great. But you know what? We didn't have dogs. My dad, my uncle took myself and my cousin grouse hunting as a lot of folks do in Northern Minnesota. And I know other areas where rough grouse are very pleasant. I mean, that's what we were doing. We were walking, walking forest roads and logging trails and we shot what we saw and it it sparked a fire inside me that has continued to grow until today and i would you know i i can't look back at that and regret that moment because it's it's changed my life no yeah and and you know it's it's interesting how uh how and i don't even really know the word but you know how um pure people have tried to get with the dogs yep. and make sure the dog is you know in a certain make sure it's you know on point and it's doing the right thing and everything has to be perfect you know my dad tells me stories he grew up in international falls minnesota okay yeah and they had a lot of grouse in international falls back in the you know 40s when he was was that was there yeah and they they used to take an old pickup truck have their have my uncle Pete drive because he was the youngest and he wasn't uh, allowed to hunt apparently. <laughs> he could not, but he could drive. <laughs> <laughs> he could drive. He could barely reach the pedals, but he was driving, you know, and they would go down the logging trails in Northern uh, up near international falls. And, the, and these guys would be sitting on the bumpers. Okay. And they would just be looking for grouse crossing the road. And, when they saw a grouse, they'd tell them to stop and they'd go shoot it. Yeah. 
that's how they did it, you know, back then. So I've, I've heard the I'm, same exact stories recanted from other folks. I mean, yeah, that's just, again, you can't necessarily measure, you know, today, you can't measure yesterday's activities with today's ethics and all that stuff. And those, those conversations are, you know, things were different back then. Some of those things still happen today and wherever you fall on that spectrum, I mean, there's, there's a certain way to do things and, but it's, I don't know. I hate, I hate things that, get divisive and we start going at each other when we need to be, you know, banding together for the most part, but yeah, yeah. right. Right. You know, if it's, if you, if you shoot it legally at the end of the day, it, it, you shot it legally. Next yeah. question. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah, that's cool. That's, that's really cool. Yeah. We have very similar stories. That is, yeah. That so. is, that is funny that uh, the more and more, uh, the more and more we talk, Greg, the more and more we find out we have in common, which is pretty neat. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> Greg, what kind of so, dogs do you run? So, um, let me just start before I tell you that, <laughs> that we are national sponsors of NAVDA. Okay. Okay. And here I am, a national sponsor of NAVDA, and I have a chocolate and a yellow lab. Okay. So. <laughs> <laughs> I think that is, I, kinda... I think that is a testament <laughs> to your conservation efforts and giving back to the community because although you have labs you recognize the importance of a group like NAVDA. Oh my gosh, NAVDA people have been uh, you know, I mean if I would have started knowing somebody from NAVDA 20 years ago, I'd probably have right, yeah. you know, an English an English setter or whatever. No, but... probably not an English setter, you'd probably have a versatile dog. <laughs> well, yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. I, I meant a pointer, an English pointer. Um, but you know, or a German short hair exactly. or yeah. something, something, yeah. you know, like in that, in that area. But, you know, I started my, the guys that I hung out with that had dogs for pheasant hunting, they had labs, you know, and, and that's what we started with. And frankly, for the hunting that I do at my farm in South Dakota, it's really perfect because they, they hunt inside a gun range you know when they're birdie. Uh, they they quarter fantastically in front of the the hunters. Um, retrieving is a given, and you know they work really well for for my for my pheasant hunting. Yeah. Now would I take when I take them on a quail hunt or, you know, some of the other you know a sharp tail hunt? Not so much. They're not you know they're not really built for that. Can we do it? And I have I've done it. I've done sharp tail hunts in South Dakota with my labs and we've, we've scored, but they're not ranging, you know, a hundred yards away from me. I sure. can tell you that. Yep. So it's been, it's been good. It's been, it's been really good. And I, I have, I have two dogs. They're the luckiest dogs in the world, you know, cause they get to go to hunting camp in September and they hunt almost every day through December. Yeah. You know, I mean, almost every day, even if I can't go, they'll go with, with my hunters that come in sure, and you know, and they just, <laughs> they love life, man. It's, it's a good, it's a good gig for them for sure. Yeah. I can't think of a better existence for a couple of, couple of bird dogs. That sounds like it would be awesome. Yep. Absolutely. All right, Greg. Well, I, I want to wrap up with a couple of things uh, back on Dakota 283 a little bit. Let's, you mentioned earlier the gun vault, why don't you break down real quick the kennel offerings that you have? Because there's a couple of them and they have different sizes and stuff. You don't have to go into all the sizes, sure. but break down the kennels and then, you know, specifically touch on the new, is it the T100, the tunnel cover kennels? Yep. Talk, talk about that. Yep. 
Yeah, no problem. Um, so, you know, our primary kennel is called the G3. Yes. All right. That's for generation three. So that tells you that we made the first one and we liked it, but we found out we want to do some things that were better. And then we ended up with a third version, which is now our G3. Yeah. We actually are working on a G4 right now um, because there's some things that we want to change and, you know, make it better and this and that. So, yep. but um, the G3 we have in three sizes, um, it's a, it's a medium, a large and an extra large. And I, I would, I would tell you that, you know, the mediums are good for, the 40 to 60 to 65 pound dog. Okay. And I'm, I'm just giving you pounds because that's the best. You know, that's how everybody does it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you get above 65 pounds, I would put you in a large up to 90 pounds and then from 90 pounds up to, uh, you know, 110, I'd say, uh, you want an extra large. Sure. Um, but the nice part about these kennels are, you know, they're one piece construction, um, they've got a molded in handle so you can grab it and go. It's not, it's, it's, it's really easy to transport from your garage or your house to your truck. So that's pretty cool. That's, yep. and, and of course, all the other features that come with, um, are, are really nice kennels. So the next, um, the next thing that we have is we came out with what we call the T1. Um, T1. We had okay. a lot of, yeah, we had a lot of guys say, Greg, love your kennel, but I want, I have a tonneau cover and I want to be able to put, A, I want to put the, the kennel under the tonneau cover and B, I want to be able to put, a lot of guys have, you know, I'm just going to say the, uh, the Ford, the F, you know, uh, the, the, the pickup trucks with the uh, back seat. They want to be able to put two kennels in the back seat yes. with the doors facing out of the doors yep. on either side in the quad cabs. So we built a kennel that not only can fit under the tonneau cover, but you can put two kennels back to back in the back of a quad cab pickup truck. So they can be in a heated environment in cold weather with two other hunters, two dogs, two hunters, and they can be inside the cab. Yeah. Or a, cool, um, or a so, cooled environment if ne if needed. Or a cooled environment. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So, um, so, so the T1 came out last year and, um, it's not for every every dog. I mean, it's it's a smaller kennel because it has to fit under under a, a tonneau cover. Sure. But that's been a that's been a really nice product for us. It's been great. Um, of course, we've got the original Kennebec kennel, which is a two handled, molded and handled uh, version of um, of of the kennel. So those those people who want two handles versus one, we've got that. So okay. Um, that's kind of our kennel, our kennel lineup. We are looking at a smaller kennel for different markets. Um, so that's coming up. And we're also looking at a, a G3 on steroids, basically. Uh -huh. uh, it's, yeah, this is, we, we were approached by the military um, and police community to build something that can, you know, handle, you know, a Belgian Malinois or, German Shepherd or some of the more aggressive dogs. And wow, this thing, <laughs> this thing is intense, man. It's really <laughs> cool. And it's, um, it's, I'm pretty excited about it. We're, we're probably, it's probably a fourth quarter introduction. 
Um, and it's not for your audience necessarily because you're up, you got upland hunters, but sure, yeah. um, the mar- the market's going to be more of that police military market, which is going to be pretty cool. Okay. Um, so the other thing, Nick, that we came out with this year was when talking to breeders. So when, when a breeder has a litter, they sell their pups and they have to get the pups from point A to point B and the puppy owner could be a new, a new dog owner, never have, had a kennel. Mm-hmm. Puppies want to be in smaller confined areas. They feel comfortable in small areas. I don't know if your dogs are like mine, but my dogs can't wait to get back into their kennels if they're outside all day. Yeah. I don't know why that is, but well, they've been they properly the- they've been properly crate trained, probably Greg. And and the other thing about well, the small small areas that you'll hear a lot with puppies is if it's a if it's too big of an area, as you all know, they'll go and. Um, you know, they'll go to the bathroom on the other side of it and then retreat to the one side of it. But if you keep it small, they won't necessarily do that as readily. Exactly right. Exactly right. So what we've given breeders this, this option where we call it the forever insert because their customers can now get their forever kennel with the forever insert. And it goes inside the kennel and quarters off the space and it moves with the growth of the dog. So as the yeah. dog gets to be three, three or four months old, they move the spacer back six inches. And now they've got a little bit more space for the dog. And as the dog becomes an adult dog, you take you take the insert out and he's in the same kennel that he grew up in. Yeah. So that's pretty exciting. I, we're uh, uh, we, we're really focused on helping breeders get get their customers into that into our kennel with this with this forever insert it should be it should be really fun for these guys so yeah well excellent and then uh anything else you want to highlight i know you do the you do the dine and dash products which are food and water carriers that sort of thing yeah did i send you one of those uh i don't have one no why not um i haven't thought of uh putting it in my arsenal yet greg (laughs) okay so tell me why i should Dine and da- you're going to get a dine and dash next week. I'm okay. going to send you one. All right, all right. <laughs> um, in fact, I'll probably send you. I'll send you. Okay, so we started with the dine and dash, which is a two gallon water container made from the same construction. You know, it's linear low density polyethylene. You can hit it with a baseball bat. You can run it over with a truck. It's not going to break. Right. Okay. It's a single piece, two gallons of water. You can pull a plug, uh, hydrate your dog, and then tip the container uh, backwards and the water goes back in and you don't lose any water. So whatever it doesn't drink goes back in and it's ready for the next serving. On top of that, with the Dine and Dash, you also have an eight cup food area that you can travel with and just have food. So you can have food and water for your dog, which people love because they go on a one or two day uh, hunt and they've got everything they need right there. And I got to tell you, man, I, I abuse my my dash and dine and dash products. I will literally whip those things into the truck and not worry about it. They're not going to leak. Okay. Yeah, that's cool. If it gets cold and they start and they freeze up, they don't break either because the linear low density polyethylene in this container grows with the ice and it does not crack or stra- uh, fracture and break. So yeah, it's a very awesome rugged, nice. very rugged device. Yeah. Um, so we had a lot of guys say, Greg, I'm running two gallons isn't enough. I'm running two dogs at a time or three or four dogs at a time, and two gallons isn't going to do it. So we built a dash, same type of device, but no food. 
but we built a Dash 3.5 and a Dash 5.0. So you can have the same type of container in a three and a half to five gallon version of it. So if you need more water, you can get it. Got so it. Cool. Pe- people have really liked that, especially, you know, guys going hunting down in Arizona or something. And it's, you know, you know, it's going to be dry. It's going to be hot and their dogs need to be hydrated. It's, it's a great way to go. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay, cool, Greg. Well, thank you. Uh, I'll go ahead. I got one, one last thing. Let's hear it. Nick, in, uh, August 1st, we came out with a new pricing strategy. Yes. And we're pretty excited about this. It's already it's already been really successful. You can now get a opening level price point kennel for under $300. Okay. Yeah. So you you know what these kennels cost. They could be 3 to 5 or $600. Yep. We've brought these we've brought these prices way back. And, um, people are pretty excited about it. So it's, it's, it's actually opened up a lot of, a lot of options for us because, you know, frankly, not everybody wants to spend $500 on a kennel, right? That's a lot of money. Yep. So, so anyway, that's been, that's been a big deal. Yeah. And for the best place for people to go and check out all of the Dakota 283 products, see the prices, look, see all that stuff. Where do they go, Greg? Okay. So yeah, just check our website out. It's uh, www.dakota283.com. Or if you have questions, you want to contact me directly. It's greg at dakota283.com. Perfect. All right, man. Uh, Thank you very much for coming on the Project Upland Podcast. This was a blast, Greg. It will not be the last time that you and I chat this fall. Thanks for your time and have a great day, buddy. All right, you too, Nick. Thanks for having me, bud. Appreciate it. Take care, Greg. See ya. See ya. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Project Upland podcast presented by Onyx Hunt. The podcast is also brought to you by Pine Ridge Grouse Camp, Dogs or Collars, Yukonuba Premium Performance Dog Food, Gumleaf USA, Gordian Sons Outfitters, and Dakota 283 Kennels. Don't forget to leave us a rating, leave us a review, subscribe to the podcast, and share the podcast post. You could be next week's winner of the Project Upland podcast giveaway. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll catch you on the next episode. Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app. Join millions of other hunters who trust Onyx Hunt to find more game, discover new access, and hunt smarter. Onyx Hunt shows you nationwide public and private land boundaries. They've got topographic and 3D maps. You can track your route, location, and elevation profile. You can save maps for offline use and take Onyx Hunt with you wherever you go. The most comprehensive hunting tool you'll own Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your next Onyx Hunt subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx. Hey everyone, this is Nick from the Gundog It Yourself podcast. If you enjoyed this show, then you might want to check out my show as well. We highlight and break down the ins and outs of training your own hunting dog. Whether it's a bird dog or even the occasional hound dog episode, we cover all topics related to hunting dogs. Check out Gundog It Yourself on any podcast streaming platform and hit the subscribe button to be sure not to miss any future episodes.